0: Paco, and I'm here with Brian and Reggie. Today we're going to be talking about how we address the first days of school and how to create a positive, engaging learning environment. Uh, So I'm gonna go ahead and start, and this is Paco speaking. Um, I think it's really important that on the first day of school that students walk into the classroom and they immediately get a sense of who their teacher is and that that environment is welcoming and that they, they have a sense of, of what to expect. So when I set up my classroom, I try to make sure that it has representations of my interests and, and who I am as an individual. So there'll be, um, you know, nerdy posters about video games and sci-fi stuff that I'm really into. And I encourage, uh, through conversations on that first day, I encourage students to, to ask me questions about who I am as an individual, not just as their teacher, but as a person. And then, in response, I, I follow up with questions about who they are so that they might be able to um, engage with me in the same way and that they might be able to express themselves as individuals. And I think that that goes a really long way for setting up the mood of the class and that uh, students are comfortable with the idea that they have um, individuality, they, they are individual persons and that they have some say in, in how they express themselves in a classroom. And, after that, I'm gonna pass it to, to Reggie and Brian. And what are your thoughts, guys, on, on how you set up a classroom in the mood there?
1: Uh, two, two things come to mind. One is a seating pattern, uh, and the other is uh, where things are in the classroom. So in terms of seating pattern, I rotate the seating charts every month. So I tell them that up front uh, and express to them the reason why we have uh, seating charts in terms of being able to make a more efficient start and end to the class Uh, when substitute teachers are there attendance is recorded properly they don't have to account and have to contest an absence or some attendance that's marked incorrectly by another teacher and then also areas in the classroom I'm in a science classroom so we talk about safety where safety items are where the predictable office supplies are needed for the classroom and once we demonstrate we can handle ourselves maturely Uh, they're they're kind of entrusted with acting accordingly and getting up and getting what they need in order to carry out a task.
0: And Reggie, it's a little bit different for you because you're uh, in a community college environment. So how does setting up a, a class space, especially since between each section, the class space might be different. How does that work for you?
2: Well, I mean, uh, the classroom space is not really your own. I mean, you know, uh, in community college, you just kind of go into a room and you teach in it and then you leave. So it's a little bit different in that respect. But um, so what I do is I have to take, uh, I have to take attendance. Uh, so what I do is, is I've actually... Um, I have a seating chart, but also one of the... uh, I'm sorry, I don't have a seating chart. I have a uh, sign-in. But one of the things that I found is that, you know, a lot of times it's almost like church. When you go to church, you know, you kind of find a place where you like to sit and you sit there mostly, uh, you know, a lot of the times like in church, I'm on the left side of, of the church and I'm like maybe you know, close to the to the front because that's where my wife likes to sit I prefer to kind of sit closer to the back but you know you kinda of gravitate to a, a place and and one of the things that I, I find is that I actually chart where my students like to sit I tell them after a couple of classes I would like for them to sit in the same place because it helps me learn who they are and I chart them just so I know this person sits in this space and I have a couple of things that help me get to to know who they are um, by about week five so um, you know it's a little bit different uh, than K through twelve, but that's kind of what I like to do.
0: I think that's interesting because uh, similar to you, Reggie, um, uh, I don't do seating charts necessarily with all of my classes, and and so I think it's interesting that interesting that we talk about um, making sure that we allow students to have uh, access and agency in the classroom, that they have some power and control over the the things that are going on in the classroom, and so. Uh, I think that's also really important in, in the beginning of the school year in allowing students to have some control over the classroom environment within obviously specific constraints for security and safety, when you, especially when you're dealing with science labs. Uh, but Brian, what, what means do you allow uh, students to have that sort of freedom or that sort of choice in your classroom?
1: Yeah, at some, some point, especially when they do group work, you start to get a feel for which students are get, get on each other's nerves, and perhaps you don't want them sitting next to each other. Reason for sometimes rotating seating charts is uh, students will come up at the end of a class period and say, that student is forever kicking the back of my chair, or I really can't sit next to her, and it gives a chance to readdress that. So if everybody moves once a month, and it gets the idea of people that are that have been in the back they're up in the front if you're on the left side now you're over on the right side uh so it kind of is a equal access offender so to speak is uh nobody's being ostracized everybody's going to move this is just what we do
0: for sure and i think that that flexibility is something that especially with beginning teachers is is kind of a scary thing saying hey you have a choice in where you sit and you have a choice in the way that you address this topic or this this assignment and i think that that can be both liberating and terrifying for students in the beginning of a school year. So I think that it's, it's, it's very praiseworthy that each of us is addressing that in kind of a different way.
1: There was one other thing I'd like to bring up, more so in a high school classroom, but sometimes you have a floating classroom. You might not have your own classroom. Sometimes that gets into a di- dynamic between the teacher whose classroom, uh, they'll tell you it's theirs, uh, and then maybe you're only in there for a period or two and how the teachers need to work out, what are the areas, what are some things that we can reach a consensus agreement on, on what things are gonna be where in the classroom.
0: And you know, how to share space can be definitely a challenge in that situation when you have floating teachers going from room to room. And so flexibility obviously is, is something that teachers themselves can uh, model for students, especially in that situation of floating classrooms. Um, and finally, on this 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 topic of creating a positive, engaging learning environment, I think it's really important to talk about procedures because as flexible as we all want to be, as creative as we all want to be, students also, um, at least as, as research shows, succeed when they can predict and when they know what to expect on any given day. So um, as far as my classroom goes, every day my classroom is set up pretty much the same way. My, my seating arra- arrangements might change based upon if we're having a discussion or whatever, but the, na- uh, the date and, and the, the standards are always posted on the same part of the board. What the activities are always there as well. So that way, students always can walk into my classroom. They know what to expect. They know that what we're going to be doing on any given day. My homework for the previous night has been posted. Um, they always submit their work to the same place. I have an in and out set of bins in the back where... They submit uh, work that needs to be scored and when work has been scored, I put it in the out bin and they're responsible for collecting it themselves. So I think setting up those sorts of regular routines uh, goes a long way in making sure that students can can have control over their experience in the classroom.
2: Yeah, one of the things that I uh I was one of my challenges uh when I first started teaching actually uh many many years ago was uh you know when a student would come up to me and say, "Hey, you know, uh, oh, Mr. Grind, I've been I've been out for, you know, for like 5 days and uh, you know, how can I get the work?" It is that, you know, you're done and and a lot of times this would happen at the beginning of class and it would completely throw me off for the rest of the, you know, that class period because, um, you know, I'm always kind of in planning mode. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about what it is that I'm going to be doing. I'm not really thinking about what we've already done. So I had to actually come up with a procedure for that um, just so I could maintain my sanity and be able to, you know, move on with the rest of the, the day. And, and it, it's, it's, it was kind of like a um, something that I actually uh, was one of my first reflections, actually, that I wrote about um, that was published. Uh, a while ago, and and basically, I just had a procedure that that's that, uh, that w- I would keep a track of everything it is that I did every day, and students could access it, and they needed to access that before they asked me anything. And usually, I tried to make it as self-explanatory as possible. So, you know, if they had any questions, they could ask me about it. But that was their w- where they needed to go to before they um, before they asked me about it. So that really helped me um, kind of shift the responsibility to them instead of the, having them kind of muck up uh, my. My f- my flow, so to speak.
0: And just just to clarify a little bit further, what is that? How do you track that, and then how do students access it? Well,
2: okay. So when I was uh, when I was in in high school, what I did is I, I just I really I just had a shared drive, and I had a, a word document, and one and and the word document had uh, links uh, to specific assignments, and the assignments were numbered in a certain way, and in the word document they were numbered the same way, so it was very easy to see what it was that was done on any given day and so that students could go to the Word document and see what it was that was done in the, any of the ancillary documents and access those and work on them because all of the documents were self-explanatory. And then if they had any questions about it, they could ask me. But, um, you know, I, f- I found that it was just a, a, a way for me to uh, streamline my process uh, so that I didn't have to worry about that after I've done it. I'm here with Brian, and Brian's going to talk to us about uh, the Harvard Graduate School of Education's Facebook feed, which posts items about recently conducted research. Brian, what can you tell us about what you found?
1: Yes, so I'm going to highlight one of the recent postings from their Facebook feed, obviously freely available, that I found as directly transferable to what my students do in the classroom.
2: So what what did you find, um, Brian?
1: So in this story, it's entitled From Digital Native to Digital Expert. So it was looking at following three groups of readers of digital information. They looked at historians, uh, undergraduates at Stanford, and professional fact-checkers.
2: And what what did the uh, researchers find about what these three groups of of, uh, um, researchers or um, people do when looking online?
1: Yeah, so what was startling is they found that the fact checkers, uh, probably not surprisingly, but were much better at evaluating digital information than even historians. And what they found is that close reading of a source without knowing how good that source is, to do that before knowing the quality of the resource is just a colossal waste of time for everyone.
2: And so, um, and this is really interesting um, uh, as a journalism professor, because uh, one of the things that I've I've seen in my 15 years of experience uh, teaching in high school and and in in college is just that students, uh, a lot of times I'll see them that they just really take what is on the search page and will go just with that, without even clicking through to the source.
1: Yes, the researchers were able to identify exactly what the students were looking at. So... Kind of very mundanely, students were suckered in by the layouts, by the abstracts, by references, by the .org domain, and they were looking at all of these that probably their instructors, and I know I have in the past, just use a simple checklist to evaluate a source of information after spending a lot of time on it.
2: Hmm. So so what are, what are the, um, the professional fact checkers doing then that uh, these other two groups are maybe not doing?
1: Yeah, so they looked at two things that certainly I can expect my public school students to be able to do the next time we get to go to the computer lab to research an issue. Uh, number one, teach students how to open multiple pages within one window by the simple right-clicking. And this will allow them to examine multiple sources of information much faster.
2: And is that on the same website then, or is that on different websites?
1: No, that's evaluating in each website before they start reading closely and deeply into it.
2: Oh, interesting. And what about the second point?
1: Yes, to to actually show students probably the day before going to the computer lab, show students how to conduct tailored searches. So we might call this an advanced search mode if you're in a web browser. So place the name of an organization within quotation marks or add additional keywords to have a more focused research pattern.
2: Hmm, interesting. So and uh, so, uh, were there were there other interesting uh, uh, articles that uh, that were posted on this uh, education site?
1: Yeah. So next time, perhaps, or down the road, if listeners are looking for another one that I've been reading, is entitled "Partnering with Newcomer Families," and this is looking at immigrant experiences. And I personally had challenges with this with students that were coming out of uh, the islands that were affected by hurricanes and fleeing African countries. Uh, that had unsafe conditions. So I'm looking at that as a better way to connect with those families.
2: Hmm. Well, what what we'll do is we'll post a couple of those uh, links on on the podcast website. And uh, so Brian was telling us about the Harvard Graduate School of Education's Facebook feed. Thanks so much, Brian.
1: Thanks, Reggie.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. Be sure to check out our website at engagedmeaningfullearning.wordpress.com. And if you have ideas for future episodes, please email us at engagedmeaningfullearninggmail.com. At we hope you'll join us again.